these different trade shows in all of these different countries. And, you know, and they wonder why our craft has got such a bad <laughs> reputation. <laughs> Welcome to episode 170 of the Rockstar CMO Epic Marketing Podcast. It's Saturday the 10th of June. I hope you've had a great week and you are well and staying as sane as you feel you need to be. I'm your host Ian Truscott. I'm no rockstar, but with this podcast, I want to share the marketing street knowledge I've picked up on my journey from techie to CMO with the help of some true rockstars, my guests and chums, old and new to inspire the marketing rockstar in you. You can find links to me, the guests, and all the things we talk about in the show notes on rockstarcmo.com, along with our street knowledge blog and our beat newsletter. And we are proud members of the Marketing Podcast. This week in the Marketing Studio, Jeff Clark shares his five effing fundamentals for B2B campaigns. I go backstage with Jill Jago, co-founder of The Muth Beauty, and we join my chum, Robert Rose, in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar for a cocktail and a marketing sport. But first, we need to pay the bar tab. I'll be back in a moment. We'll be right back. We'll be right back. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy. Tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Time for us to drop by the marketing studio where I get some free advice from my chum, Jeff Clark, a former Forrester research director and our resident rockstar CMO strategy advisor. Welcome in. Come on into the studio. Thanks, buddy. How are you doing? We're about to go on the air. I'm doing great. We are. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Shall I flick the little switch on so the light goes on outside? So don't get <laughs> on air. <laughs> See, I think we did a good job there. It felt like I'd actually come into the studio and that we we'd introduced each other. Well, properly. you know, we need we need a door no- a noise. Oh, right. yeah, I could find one of those. I mean, I have to do a load of editing for the Robert Rose bit, and I have to add all sorts of them in special effects. So I know I should invest those, in our those, section. Those make those noises always make me thirsty. <laughs> <laughs> well, the truth of that is, is I am genuinely making a gin and tonic. So those clinking noises are me stumbling oh my around on my desk trying not to spill everything. So yeah, wow, <laughs> a little bit of the thing. Anyway, we better get on with our thing because you know what we're like. Um, we this week we are talking about the five fundamentals of marketing campaigns, or as I prefer to say, the five effing fundamentals of the marketing campaigns. And uh, returning to our five effing fundamental format. God, all the Fs. I'm loving this um, <laughs> and, um, uh, that we've covered in, in previous episodes. And um, ca- marketing campaigns is our fourth of our five effing marketing fundamentals. So 
this is this is this is like um wheels within wheels effing fundamentals within effing <laughs> fundamentals isn't it so yeah <laughs> it's like looking in the opposing mirrors and yeah. you see the you know the echo of the image back and forth yeah, and back exactly. and forth so, and oh yeah, yeah or if you get your, or if you get your zoom sharing wrong so anyway so we're going to talk about the five effing effing fundamentals of marketing campaigns what say you jeff well to me campaigns and i you know i've done a lot of work campaigning and also just working with clients on campaigns and this mm. is where the rubber hits the road mm. it's where you know and if we think about our other fine fundamentals it's where you apply your insights and the story you want to tell to engage prospects and customers with customer-centric campaigns so you can hit those freaking business objectives you set <laughs> in the in the in your plan <laughs> make sure you weren't just uh you know breathing hot air but yeah. uh you know I mean, the thing is that, you know, our commercial colleagues, you know, they really, they all, all they care about is generating influence and opportunities. Mm-hmm. So, so the, the issue is so much of marketing can be one and done tactics, you know, kind of quick fixes and campaign planning and execution really helps you, you know, put together a consistent ongoing, you know, air cover campaign for brand activation, mm-hmm. you know, mid funnel targeted and segmented campaigns mm-hmm. provides colleagues with, um, you know, in business development or sales with the help, the enablement to, so that they can kind of bring everything home. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so this is a, a key fundamental in our I love five that. fundamentals. I lo- well, well, I mean, I just want to hammer home that previous point that you just made, which is that they, that we think of these as uh, layers rather than, you know, you're on a sort of hamster wheel of campaigns. Here's one that starts off we go. You've got the air cover campaigns that are happening, those sort of mid-level, mid-funnel campaigns running, and then those helpful closing campaigns going on. Yep. So that's, yeah, so that's interesting. So what's the first of your effing fundamentals, Jeff? Yes, it, it just it just so our don't our our listeners don't get confused because mm-hmm. we, because we've been doing, we've been on this roll of for every of our five mm-hmm. effing fundamentals, mm-hmm. we did we dig into five more? You know, five, it's like the the five drill down. Did I not explain and, uh, that earlier? This is five effings within five effings. No, effings. I know. I yeah. just confuse everybody, don't I? You're I, you're absolutely right. So, I was getting confused. No, <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely. So the what? All right. Let me rephrase. What is your first fundamental of campaign? It is the focus <laughs> on the customer need. Not mm-hmm. to not that we're trying to. They're not all Fs. Okay, they're not all Fs. Oh, damn. Um, but the, I mean, this is where, you know, when you do your research into your customers and what their needs are, what's, mm-hmm. you know, kind of what their burning issues, you know, we can call, get down to their pain points, blah, 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 mm-hmm. is that the, you want to raise your campaign up to the highest level of need. So you can kind of have something you develop a theme around. It helps you big out, build out, you know, who are the, what's the segment or what are the segments that are you're addressing with this campaign. And it really kind of sets you up to have a story because you're going to mm-hmm. say you have a need, we have a solution, and we have actually have uh, lots of ways and content that can help you uh, understand how to address that need. Mm-hmm. So it's um, you, you, that's the place to start. You have to start with a customer, and and the place not to start is to say I got a product, yeah, uh, yeah and I'm yeah. trying to sell the product, and so therefore I'm 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 actually starting. You know, I'm starting uh, at the wrong spot. I need to go back a little bit to the customer need because that's what the customer is going to yeah, engage we, you on. And we've talked about that. Um, well, I certainly talked about it when we were talking about uh, content marketing, right? Is this this idea that we need to be helpful 
Um, and then how are you going to be helpful if you don't understand your customer need? So absolutely. So that's our first fundamental is focus on customer need. What's our second? The second one is determine what the business goals are. Mm. So, you know, your marketing plan has at the highest level, you know, what you're trying to do to raise awareness and contribute to revenue and to build trust with customers. But you got to take that down to the campaign level now. Mm -hmm. Now that you've defined your theme and your your market segments that 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 are that share that theme, yeah. now I need to say, okay, within this, you know, for the purposes of this campaign, you know, what is it we need to do to either build awareness or build preference for our our, our company and our yeah. vendor, our solution? What is it we're trying to do to impact revenue? I mean, do we have a specific revenue contribution? Mm-hmm. goal that's part of this campaign do we have a are we trying to influence revenue um and given where we are on the awareness uh uh you know continuum do we what do we need to do to build trust either with our existing customers because we might be in an upsell or mm-hmm. cross-sell mode or building trust as we're as we're you know mm-hmm. uh, you know putting our brand out there in the market mm-hmm. and then the and you know this builds on one you know your your uh, your art framework that yeah. you know you often talk about to which i add the the fourth thing which is enablement because yeah. it's absolutely imperative that since you're trying to build this multifaceted multi-channel campaign mm-hmm. now this is something where your sales team your business development team anybody who's touching the customer needs to understand how to communicate within the context of this campaign. Mm-hmm. So you've got to help them. What are the tools? What's the messaging? Right. Why are we doing this? Uh, and uh, so enablement is uh, no small part of this, um, okay. of your goals. Right. So, so as part, so you're saying as part, part, when you're deciding you're going to do the game and I think the campaign, and I think this is probably very consistent with a lot of what we say on this, this show, right. Is that, we need to determine our business goals. And you're saying that we need to bucket those up. Is it raising awareness? Is it raising revenue? Is it raising trust? But this enablement thing is probably a new thought, isn't it, around a campaign? Is it, does it help our team actually engage with the customer? And how do we help them do that with this particular theme? So that's interesting. And, and, and your goals might be heavily weighted to awareness yeah. or revenue. And they actually, you might need to have goals across all four of these yes. things. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, well, and it, well, the thing is, it has to do at least one of them, right? So that's, <laughs> otherwise, why are we bothering? So what's your third? The third one is create a campaign team, because mm-hmm. if, you're, if you're creating a multifaceted, multi-channel campaign, then mm-hmm. it's like, okay, well, what, okay, what's the comms team have to do with this? What's the digital team? You know, what's, you know, people in the field, sales, ops, uh, you know? So, so you want to create a team where you've got, you know, a core uh, set of core team members that, that are representing these different functions mm. because they're going to have their own, uh, you know, work to do within the context of the campaign. Yeah. They can't be doing things that are, that are, you know, sort of at the, uh, you know, be running against or conflicting or giving, you know, uh, conflicting messages relative to this campaign. Mm. So you need to have that cross-functional team. Uh, and then you obviously need to have a leader because <laughs> a cross-functional team just throwing everybody in a room doesn't necessarily work. So somebody who's got good business sense who can manage, uh, you know, collaborate across teams like this is absolutely essential to be the um, the leader. Yeah, yeah. So, so um, 
Yeah, so that's important. The, the team thing is important because there's different parts of a campaign is going to require different specialists. And it doesn't really matter how you organize your marketing team, whether you've got people split between field marketing, content marketing, brand, comms. Yep. You, you could slice and dice it like that. Then everybody needs to get back behind a campaign or whether you have, you know, blended teams within teams, but you, that doesn't work. So, yes, I, I completely agree with this. And, and then when you're saying about a leader, do you mean... I mean, that doesn't necessarily need to be a senior person. It's just somebody who owns that campaign, isn't it? Yeah, and it could be, I mean, what I've seen a number of different varieties of this. I've seen, like, sometimes there's a global campaigns team in which there is a person who will be be basically orchestrating one or two campaigns. Um, Sometimes somebody in, you know, marketing ops is kind of like a really good project manager or several of them, and so therefore you put them as the leader. Uh, it, it works or sometimes there's somebody who's really strong in your digital or your field marketing teams who, who you can say now you're, you're, you're running this, you're owning this, as long as you're not trying to take away from too much from a day job. Um, but it's, it, it can be a number of type of people that fill this role. It is not necessarily, you know, your, uh, you know, somebody else on your leadership team, your, as a CMO saying there's somebody else on my leadership team who's going to run this. Um, and the other thing that's important is that when you set these teams up is that you're, you want to, you want to make sure that they understand that the idea is that they need to be agile because there could be a bunch of planning that happens up front. But the reason they're trying to work together as a team is they're looking at results. They're seeing what's working, yeah, what's yeah. not working. They're making changes, course correcting. Yeah. Uh, and, um, and so having a cross-functional team do that is, uh, is very important. Yeah, absolutely. And and we're so data led, aren't we? So you need somebody from the marketing ops team, somebody with a data background who's going to keep track of the performance of the campaign, right? As well as, as you say, the creative and the copy and all that stuff and the messaging and that that the messaging doesn't conflict with anything we're doing at corporate. But also, I like that idea, this lead and having strong project management skills as well, isn't it? They don't necessarily need to be creative, but they certainly need to be able to herd the cats that need to make this thing happen, right? Yes. Yeah. Meow. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. So, so far, we focused on the customer need, which is what we do every week. <laughs> Determined yeah. our business goals, which is pretty much what we do every week. And now we've created this campaign team. So we put this multifaceted team together to, to, put this th- to put this thing out. So what's the fourth fundamental? So now you need to set that campaign, t- campaign team to mm-hmm. develop a tactic mix that aligns with the buying journey. So, okay. you know, within the big umbrella of the campaign, there's going to be, you know, there's going to be events, there's mm-hmm. going to be, you know, advertising, email, sales tools, et cetera, to develop. And so, you know, what is that mix? And can we use the insights that we gained uh, from, you know, our research about the customers yeah. to understand where do they go for information? What type of information are they looking for? Do they, do they take it in digitally? Do they engage with, you know, people, you know, sales teams and it's going to be in person. Do they go to the events? They want to talk to people at events. They want to get demos. What is it that, that is actually the, the right set of tactics that's in the buying journey? And you use, you want to use your understanding of the journey to guide this as opposed to, you know, create the, which I, I think I've been guilty of many times <laughs> is, you know, you create the, the bucket list, uh, yeah. you know, it's like, okay, we need to have a white paper and we need to run a webinar and we need yeah. to do with this. So we need yeah, to, yeah. it's, you know, trying to be cookie cutter uh, can be a waste of time. So you really want to look at that, any information you can glean about the mm-hmm. intelligence of a buying journey to understand 
what it is think, that your your team is going to go off and create yeah, and execute. A couple of things on that. One of the one of the things is um, absolutely development tactic mix. The other thing is, I think the way that I think we've had this before on the show. The way that you describe a campaign is probably needs to be defined. It's a it's a higher level thing, isn't it? It's not a PPC campaign that runs for three months. It is the whole thing of what are we trying to say and what are we trying to achieve and what's this campaign about, right? That yep. the, the runs for multi-month periods, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And and the thing is that it's it, actually one of the things that I think is probably important to work on with your campaign yeah. team is like, what's the vernacular of how we're talking about yeah. these things? Because yeah. so when I was at Serious Decisions, you know, we used campaign to apply to the big umbrella yeah, and then we'd use programs to be the various right. things within the umbrella, and then tactics are like the individual, you know, the mm. webcast, mm. the email is the mm. tactic, and mm. and and it's not that you can't, um, you mm. know, uh, you you can't use other terms for these things, mm. but being consistent ab- across the campaign team is absolutely mm. essential. Because I work with a client where they said, okay, we're going to call the big thing the big thing on a program, yeah, <laughs> within the program. We're going to have campaign yeah. and it's like, okay, whatever. But, <laughs> but, but as, long as long as everybody as have, understands. Yeah. yeah. And, and as long as we have the, hi- the idea of the hierarchy, yeah, there's yeah. this, when you're trying to address a need yeah. that typically the need is, you know, common across, might yeah. be across uh, multiple industries. It might mm-hmm. be common across different mm-hmm. size companies, but they all have something that they're sharing. And so yeah. that's, that's yeah. where you're trying to I love, form what we're calling a campaign. Yeah, I really like that. And I, I think that that falls naturally into the sort of marketing organization I sort of, well, I sort of am building and is in my head, which is that, you know, some of that campaign stuff is more sort of a, a corporate collaborative effort that's, you know, you're going to involve the C-suite. It's going to be, it's going to, what's going to drive your content marketing. It's, it's those are those kind of big rock, you know, fundamentals whatever you want to describe them of your organization right and then those programs will come into field marketing where we're then going to run a program about a specific part of it and then an event or a ppc campaign yeah those are the tactics that'll, that'll ladder up. you know one of, one of the things that makes me think something we may want to come back to in the future yeah. is one of the biggest challenges i've had when you're trying to orchestrate these kind of yeah. big theme campaigns yeah. is that when you get into different territories yes. and i'm speaking primarily regional territories yeah. but it could be in you know when you're trying to run something across yeah. business units but yeah. you know people will say you know eh, you you at headquarters, you create this really nifty little thing, mm-hmm. and I like the way it sounds, but it doesn't work in yeah. fill in the blank uh, France, yeah. Yeah, or it doesn't yeah, work yeah. in you know uh, manufacturing, and um, uh, so that's getting you know buy in, you know, right. cooking up the ideas <laughs> for fun yeah. is one thing, but getting buy in yeah. as you roll through your territories yeah. is a uh, is a key challenge. Absolutely, and that's the, that's the uh, you know that's what a good field marketing should be about. I mean, I've had that my whole career that, that that'll you know, something that's invented somewhere else. It doesn't matter whether it's Europeans to Americans or Americans to Europeans or the the government guys and the, the e-commerce guys. It wasn't invented here and therefore I don't think it's going to work, right? Is there instant yeah. reaction? So, and I think that, that when we talk about translation in marketing, it's sometimes not about whether something works in, I don't know, the Netherlands compared to the, the uh, Baltimore. It's sometimes about whether this will actually work in, in manufacturing versus pharmaceutical right so yeah right yeah yeah and it might be just a matter of changing the vernacular yeah, yeah. as opposed to changing the concept yeah. 
but yeah. um but yeah yeah absolutely I've, important i've gone too far deep into that we better we better jog on oh and the other thing is when you were saying about having your cookie cutter i think you need a template and a framework but you need to pluck from that don't you what it is you want to yeah so anyway so that's we're putting our campaign together so so far we've focused on the customer need we've determined the business goals we've created the campaign team and we've developed our tactical mix to align with the buying journey and where they are and all that kind of stuff and then we went down a rabbit hole and now we're coming back out of that (laughs) what's your fifth jeff (laughs) i got a rabbit i got a rabbit (laughs) um (laughs) do people find rabbits down rabbit holes that's what i I would imagine that's Uh, i mean yeah yeah um, so the fifth one is determining what the return on investment is, which mm-hmm. is the combination of what are we budgeting and what are we expecting the outcomes to be? Because uh-huh. one of the, 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 I think the beauties of the, this higher level campaign concept is that it, it often is hard to determine what the, you know, business impact is on a, on a, an event or a webcast. Mm-hmm. But when you roll it up to a, a, a broader level where you can actually start to say, we spent you yeah, know, X yeah, bottom money, you know, X yeah. million dollars, euros, and we got these yeah. outcomes. And yeah. some of the outcomes might not literally be pipeline or revenue mm-hmm. or recurring revenue. They might be, you know, we increased our brand awareness or preference a certain amount. Um, but this is where you're trying to be able, you're, you're, you're trying to communicate back to the business that, mm-hmm. you know, we're actually, we're actually having an impact. Yeah, yeah, and and you know it's not always expressed in the money, but it should correlate mm-hmm. to like if we've if we've improved our brand measures or we've improved our trust mm-hmm. and our, uh, our satisfaction with our customers, we should be able to correlate that to yeah. what's going on with the revenue. Uh, and um, so, to me, this is um, yes absolutely. part of the beauty of taking this approach is to be able to have that ROI discussion as yeah. opposed to. Getting into you know uh, spats about well gee you're spending money on X and I have no idea what it's doing for yeah, me yeah absolutely and it rolls back into your business goals isn't it if you can demonstrate yes. that a you've got a, an aligned set of business goals with with the C suite and they, and you're speaking their language and and this is about how much that impacts that so that and and but then good lord I mean we're running out of time but we could get into contribution attribution all that kind of stuff mate that's definitely another show right so yep. let's let me let me summarize while we're on a roll so number one we focus on customer need number two we determine the business goals we create our campaign team at number three number four we develop a tactical mix with the buying journey and number five we determine our ROI and the budget and outcomes so final agenda item Jeff and I love this because I've got the notes what song are we going with this week? <laughs> I don't know. You tell me. You're looking at the notes. Uh, we're gonna take. We're gonna uh, go out with "All I Do Is Win," DJ Khalid at uh, from 2010. And I don't know. I just the title just yeah. kind of says it because you know you, if you take this approach, yeah, you have a much better chance. Of winning, yeah, I'm, I'm just love the fact that Jeff, Jeff, you nominated DJ Khaled this week. It was nothing to do with me, so that's fantastic. <laughs> so we'll play out with a bit of DJ Khaled, and um, most importantly, then, mate, will you be in the studio next week when I come by? I, I'll be here. Splendid. I'll see you then. I'll Cheers, even let the, I'll unlock the door. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, mate. I'll see you then. DJ Khaled, Thank you, Jeff. And that was a little bit of All I Do Is Win by DJ Khaled from 2010. 
As I mentioned there, Jeff shares many of those ideas in our Street Knowledge blog that you can find on rockstarcmo.com. Right, time to go backstage with my guest, Jill Jago. She's a futurist, entrepreneur and strategic communications consultant who has worked for global design firms, including NBBJ, Arup, AECOM and B&H. She has dedicated her career to creating the circumstances that make more sustainable outcomes possible. After three decades in the design industry, Jill is now focusing on growing her own sustainable beauty company as the co-founder of Vermouth. Jill has a fascinating story. I think you'll enjoy this conversation. Welcome, Jill, to Rockstar CMO FM. How are you? Thank you. I'm great this morning. Thank you. Yes, it's morning there, isn't it? Because you're in Seattle, aren't you? Yeah, we've got an eight-hour time difference. So you're looking forward to cocktails and I'm on the coffee. (laughs) Well, if the other people I know in Seattle, and you know the other people I know in Seattle, they're normally thinking about cocktails fairly early in the day on a Friday, (laughs) I think so. (laughs) COVID pushed that forward a bit, I think. <laughs> <laughs> and that'll be, that's actually Liz High and Misha Tramp, who have both been on the show, and I'll include links to them. They're, they're fun. Anyway, so we met through those guys. But for people that haven't had the opportunity to meet you through, through Misha or Liz, tell us a bit about yourself. So I am originally from Newcastle-upon-Tyne. Uh, ah, Geordie, why I? <laughs> <laughs> lost, lost the accent. I, I tell people I went to all the wrong schools. Um, but uh, <laughs> uh, yes, and I uh, started a. My, my, I did a degree in modern languages, actually. So I spent mm-hmm. a lot of time in in Europe and uh, taught English for a bit, and and um, ended up in in marketing quite by coincidence. Honestly, didn't even know marketing was a career. Um, <laughs> was uh was 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 temping was was temping after my postgrad and uh walked into my boss's office and this is in the days where we had secretaries and mm-hmm. tight tight skirts and me making the me making the coffee and he mm-hmm. had a spanish book on his desk and i and i so i spoke to him in spanish i just said oh hello here's here's your coffee and he mm-hmm. stopped and he looked at me and said Do you speak spanish and i said yeah french <laughs> too and he said um Great, let's talk. And he had just been moved into a career, uh, into a position of heading up marketing for it was Northumbrian Water. It was the water utility, but they just mm-hmm. bought a whole load of environmental consultancies. And uh, he he said, uh, yeah, he he'd been put in charge of that and needed someone with languages. And so they hired wow. me, and neither of us knew the first thing about what we were doing, but uh, <laughs> we we just muddled along. Um, yeah, and they eventually hired someone who did know what they were doing, and he was mm-hmm. fantastic, and and said, "No, this is a proper career, and you need to get some qualifications." And he sorted oh, me out, and on it went. <laughs> I'll explain. Well, we'll get to the we'll get to that in a sec because what I also want to ask you about is your co-founder of Vermouth. Right? Yes, and um, tell us about that and your role in that business. Yeah, I can't so th- tell the story nearly as well as you did, although I've tried. <laughs> no, well, if anyone had told me that, you know, at at at, at this stage in, in my life, I would be embarking on a career with a with a sustainable beauty startup, I would have thought they were barking mad. But uh, <laughs> I, I like to tell people Vermouth was born out of indignation. There was uh, mm-hmm. three of us having cocktails one evening, and we got talking about lipstick. And I don't know if you've know this about women but uh, 
makeup is, is a thing. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but, you know, most of us use makeup to varying degrees. Um, mm -hmm. Some are absolute non-makeup wearers, but even women who wear the most minimal makeup tend to love a good lipstick. Mm -hmm. And lipsticks, it's a very emotional product. And so we, we kind of bonded over our love of lipstick and then very quickly devolved into all the things that are wrong with lipstick, especially at our age, right? I know people can't see me, but I'm, um, I'm, I'm a more mature lady. <laughs> and, and, uh, you know, it's a horrible experience buying it. You go into one of these stores and you're followed around by a 20 year old in orange lipstick mm. who talks you into the latest trendy color and you get mm. home and it's awful and looks terrible and you never wear it. You've just spent $40. Five dollars on a lipstick that you never wear, and 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 then it's in this awful plastic tube, which you feel really guilty about throwing out because it's not recyclable. So you hang on to them. So ask any woman how many lipsticks they've got rolling around in their drawer or their purse that they never wear, and and it's a bit. It's usually a quite a big number. Right. Um, yeah, and so we just we we just got really animated by this. It can't be that difficult to solve. Like, <laughs> Let's get the plastic out of it. There's got to be a better way to buy it. And yeah, um, yeah uh, vermouth was vermouth was, was born. born out of indignation. But then, now that is it. And uh, knowing Misha and Liz uh, and you, and uh, getting to know you a bit better, now that is a cocktail evening I wouldn't miss. <laughs> and guess you, guess you, what we were drinking? <laughs> vermouth. <laughs> 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 so that's the inspiration of the name and the inspiration of, of solving the problem. So um how did you start? I mean, how did I mean I know I know Mish and Liz better than I that I know you and they're, they're researchers and marketers and stuff. How did and you're a marketer too from your career, how did the three of you then decide we're gonna solve this problem and we're gonna actually do something about it? So 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 Liz is Liz is um Liz is sort of a, a big supporter of vermouth and she's not actually part of our team there's that it's oh, okay. it, there's um our ceo is is meg meg diaz and she was the other woman who was, was oh. yeah <laughs> so she, she she's the other one who we were having cocktails with and meg uh. has a really interesting background she is an artist she was apprenticed mm -hmm. to a fresco painter in florence mm -hmm. and she also had a career in program management and analysis so she's this absolute unicorn of like really smart analytical thinking and amazing flair mm. and she had made lipstick before she had worked with a small uh, lipstick company before yeah. and so yeah and so and, and this was kind of how it happened so we're looking around the table and like I am passionate about sustainability so my marketing career really led me into sustainability nothing to do mm. with consumer products built environment um infrastructure buildings that kind of thing yeah. um meg has this you know artist background and then and then and then misha has this incredible data you know mm -hmm. data knowledge that she she just you know can can find anything in in this um it, it be all this big language mm, and she yeah, yeah. All yeah. insights from and so we can fix this you know um and and we yeah, we just and I met I actually met with a friend of mine who's a venture capitalist and huge mm -hmm. like big biotech medical equipment like nothing to do mm -hmm. with consumer products. And mm -hmm. so I said, look, let me just 
meet with Rennie. He's got a lot of experience with startups and he'll he'll talk he'll talk me out of it. And I <laughs> and I gave him the I well, I won't say it was the elevator pitch because it was a lot more long winded back then. We yeah. hadn't fully formed idea. And he yeah. listened and and then he leaned forward and he said, This is really exciting. How can I help? And oh, splendid. Vermouth was born. Yeah. Nice. And so, I mean, this isn't a product picture. The reason I'm, and sorry, I got your three founders wrong there. I, I just no, had Liz okay. on the brain there because <laughs> Liz and Misha come together as far as I'm concerned as a two. Yeah. And Liz has, Liz has been really instrumental in yeah. supporting us. Yes. Yeah. But what um, I, I love this story because what I like about it is the fact that you saw, saw a problem and then you figure out how to solve it. So, how, so the key issue that you had was the sustainability and the plastic. So how did you go about solving that? So that's, that's interesting because we started in a different, very different place from where we ended up. We originally, mm-hmm. and back to our original conversation, we were remembering our grandmothers and as I say, lipstick's very emotional, how they mm-hmm. all had these beautiful lipstick tubes that were refillable and they, they would be almost like an item of 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 not jewelry but you know something they always yeah. had with them like a cigarette and, box like a cigarette box and yeah, so yeah. so you know and they'd pull them out of their purse and they mm-hmm. um they always wore the same color they'd one color for life that was it <laughs> uh, and uh and and so we said well let's get back to that let's do the refillable thing and mm-hmm. And then we had all these great ideas and it was going to be made out of local materials and it was going to, we were going to have wood artists. I mean, we just, you know, flights of fancy. Mm. Mm-hmm. But then when it came down to it, no matter what you do, also it wasn't a new idea, it was like an iteration on something other people were doing. Mm-hmm. But no matter what you do, there's this little plastic thing that actually holds the lipstick that's part of the twist up mechanism. Mm-hmm. And we couldn't eliminate that plastic. And we just couldn't. You could do a slide, but that's not a nice experience. And, um, you know, we were were trying to, we talked to people who do 3D printing with various, you know, biomaterials. I mean, we really were, we were really like getting as creative as we could. We couldn't fix it. In the meantime, Meg's trying to like move forward with the color development and she's created or she's making all these colors and she's just doing these little nubs of color and they're really hard to put on. And I'm like, mm-hmm. Meg, this is great, but like, we can't, it's really hard to sample it. And yeah. her artist background, she said, oh, well, we need a handle to hold these things so you can sample them. And she was like, oh, it's like silver point. I know how to make a silver point handle. And silver point right. something that they medieval, it's a medieval art tool. They used it for sampling okay. paint. Paint was so precious and they had to apply mm-hmm. it so precisely and so carefully that they had this special silver point mechanism to apply it with so she literally rolled up grocery bags and, and made this <laughs> made this hand we love it yeah. and then then uh misha took a whole bunch of them to a focus group to get feedback we thought on mm-hmm. the formula and the lipstick and the colors mm-hmm. and they were meg had made a little box to put them in because they just they looked like little crayons and she made a little box yeah. so it was easy to take the focus group and yeah. people were they they just said Oh my gosh, I don't want to pick one. This is yeah. the product. Like this isn't a sample, yeah. this is the product. And yeah. we realized that we just had ended up with something completely unique. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I love it. I love that story. And I love and um uh, and I will include obviously a link to Vermouth uh, in in the show notes and I encourage people to go to go take a look because it is 
Well, I mean, I don't know anything about lipstick. But it looks <laughs> it looks like a unique product to me. And what I really like about it is this idea of a flight of lipsticks, and you've got yes. sort of the, the, the selection of, of that you can choose, and it just looks like a classy thing to own. I, I quite like it. But and that's so the like- feedback. That's the feedback we get, and and I yeah. think it's it's another part of the innovation that we hadn't anticipated is that lipstick yeah. is bought in a single color, and because mm. we we do a flight of five. Yeah. Yeah. You get all this variety and women are very used to blending eyeshadow. You always get an eyeshadow palette and you play with it, but lipstick's mm-hmm. always this one and done. And so yeah. now we're saying, no, have fun with your lips. Why should I have all the fun? <laughs> I really like that. And how, how is this? Um, so you, you've got some investment and you've got the product and <laughs> these, all of these things are really difficult things on their own, right? So, and now it's in market. How's that going? How, I mean, with the marketing and all that kind of stuff. It's it's going well. We we launched mm-hmm. in March last year, uh, twenty two, and yeah. we had a, you know, we had great feedback on our product. Sales were really mm-hmm. slow. We didn't get our price point right to start with. Um, right. We knew we we anticipated that, but somebody had given us the advice: just start higher because you can mm-hmm. always go down. You can't go up, so don't right. mess that up so we you know we've got we've got we've we've got a good price point for it now um and then at the end of last year actually january this year our local tv station picked us up and did a segment and it was i mean meg was in (laughs) meg was in the south seas somewhere i was in england and we opened our you know shopify Mm -hmm. one morning and we've got a hundred orders overnight and we just had a crazy few weeks so things really started to take off after that um and uh yeah we've done a few pop-up events locally and and Mm -hmm. you know we're starting to we're starting to get a little buzz it's 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 nice, yeah. Well, well congratulations, and, and I encourage uh, anybody to go take a look at your products. Not, unfortunately, not for me, but I, I, lo- I love them anyway. <laughs> Why well, not? <laughs> so, uh, this is a marketing show, and I, I so I, I just love that story, and I wanted to share it. But so, when you're not inventing new beauty products, you've had a fantastic mar- marketing career. What you started off with that beginning scene, yeah. which I really liked, which sounded like a scene from Mad Men. You know, what I mean, like an office <laughs> with a secretary yes. sitting outside, and you bustle your way past and start speaking <laughs> Spanish. So that was. It sounds like, and then and then somebody came in and they knew a bit about marketing. And said, "Go get yourself an education." Yeah. <laughs> so that's the yes. start. So how, <laughs> how did that go? So it, I mean, it was it was great. I took my chartered institute um, of marketing exams, and uh, you know, I I was I I mean, I had an incredible opportunity really early in my career with with basically Northumbria Water making this massive acquisition of all of these sustainable mm. engineering companies all over the world. Um, yeah. I, I, I just, you know, I had a, I had a blast. We used to, we used to call them the MJs, the marketing jollies where we'd, we'd go <laughs> off to all of these different trade shows and all of these different countries, and, you know. And they wonder why our craft has got such a bad <laughs> reputation. <laughs> yeah, that was the early nineties. And then things, things sobered up a bit. Um, yeah. Then we, we, we moved, with my husband got a, a job uh, in in Seattle in the US and mm-hmm. uh, I 
one of the companies that we had was a was an architecture company. I'd been really interested in it, so I targeted working for an architecture company when I when I moved out here, and um, I got a, a, a job with what is it's a global firm, NBBJ. It's got actually got offices in London now, and that was just a fantastic experience. I mean, yeah. you know, marketing services is 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 just it's it's never dull. Yeah. Um, and then, and then, you know, kids and needing to <laughs> pace a bit. And I, I, and I went out on my own. And so I had my own yeah. consulting practice for about almost 20 years, actually. And, yeah. and, but my main client then was the chief sustainability officer of Arup, another British based firm that had an office in Seattle. Mm-hmm. And, uh, oh, I learned so much from him. You know, yeah. he just about, about and and this is this is what's so interesting to me sustainability is a marketing and communications problem mm-hmm. as much as an environmental problem because yeah. the reason things don't change is because people don't understand the importance yeah. or it doesn't feel relevant to them or they don't yeah. you know um and 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 that's and that's really why i suppose ultimately Ending up with vermouth actually does make a lot of sense because we're mm. using vermouth as a means of communicating. It's it the design was so important to us. Like it had to be super, super appealing and a gorgeous yeah. design because yeah. it had to be desirable. But we also wanted to show that desirable and beautiful can be sustainable. Yeah. And and we believe really strongly that it is not the responsibility of the consumer to make sustainable choices it's the mm. responsibility of the companies to use the available and limited yeah. resources on the planet wisely um yeah. and so you know you you can do both yeah. we just you know we can there's no reason yeah. not to I, this is so interesting because this is um uh, I was on a CMO roundtable organized by one of my former guests, Eric Fulweiler from Rival. And I mentioned that I'd mentioned your product anyway, but we, but coincidentally, we also talking about sustainability in marketing as well. And mm-hmm. sort of like how much does it actually cost to, to, to share video, for example, because it's right. you know, the, the, the big tech and all that kind of stuff. Yes. So I think it, it really is coming through, but one of the things you were saying there about educating the consumer, we as marketers have massive budgets if we put them all together so if yes. we decide, you know, we're culture changers. So if yeah. we decide that sustainability is the way to go, we yeah. can make it happen. Really. We Don't can do it. So, yeah, yeah. I'm really glad you brought that up because one of the most exciting things that's happening uh, with us is that we are connected to a lot of other female founded companies in the Pacific yeah. Northwest and the Pacific Northwest sort of like, you know, the Northwest corner of, of, yeah. of the, the, the U.S. So Washington State, Oregon. Mm-hmm. kind of vancouver vancouver bc we we sort of yeah. don't don't observe the geographic boundaries really um yeah. and and there are a really interesting number of female founded companies focused on doing things more sustainably mm-hmm. and because we're women and we tend to not and we're not tech so we're mm-hmm. the, the big bucks aren't aren't available to us we're really smart and active in collaborating together and mm-hmm. it's been one of the most joyous parts of this journey has been connecting and joining a community of women who are like-minded there's no competition we're all trying to support each other and and lift each other up and change things together and Mm. it's 
you know, I don't see any reason why we can't do it. No, I love it. I love it. And um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> like I say, really enjoy your story and, and, and how you how you got here. But unfortunately, I'm running out of time. And <laughs> I, 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 I love talking to you, Jill. And, um, and I, I do want to talk about sustainability on the show mm-hmm. a little bit more around marketing. So I'll definitely have you back on to talk about that topic. But I'm going to get to our final question. We have a regular feature, the Rockstar CMO Swim Pool, our portal to marketing hell, where we throw all the bullshit, snake oil, and overhyped trends that plague this industry. We love. What would you chuck in, Jill? Oh, I had to say, I'm glad you sent me this question ahead of time because I really have to talk about it. Um, so my answer is trends. I would chuck all the trends in there. Um, and, and don't get me wrong, I love a good trend. Nobody gets more excited about Wonderman Thompson's trend report every year than I do. But a trend is, by definition, historic. It's already happened. And I think we pay far too much attention to trends as the kind of we we even talk about it as what's next it's not what's next it's happened yeah. and yeah. and i i think we're, what we're not good about doing is digging deeper into the what's driving that trend what's mm-hmm. motivating it what's the zeitgeist that's creating the circumstances where this becomes as as my children so eloquently say a thing uh, <laughs> <laughs> and and I, so I, I took a, recently took a course of training in strategic foresight, which people call futurism, which is just a very glamorous term because there's, there's mm-hmm. no such thing as somebody who can predict the future, but you can get smart about it. And so the trends, putting those together and looking at the patterns and looking to see what becomes possible as a result of these things Mm-hmm. is where I get really excited. Um, yeah. and, I, and I think you have to have the courage to do something that nobody else is doing. Mm-hmm. And that's really hard to do, even as a marketer. I know it's kind yeah. of our job, but we yeah. something holds us back. And I, that's why Vermouth is so exciting, because yeah. nobody's Different. doing it. We had no idea. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and we, there is... I agree. Yeah. I agree. And I mean, I'm in B2B tech, which is, which is you know, we're, we're the most boring and beige of marketers in the world. And and that's the problem, isn't it? We all jump on a particular yeah. trend in, in yes. the commas, and it's the thing that's already happening and yes. everybody's already jumping on it and you're not yeah. differentiated at all. You're just another guy talking about chat GPT, GPT or whatever <laughs> shit it is that we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Well, that's fantastic. I really enjoyed this, Jill. And um, when people spin the dial on the interwebs, where are they going to find you? We're at vermouth.co, no uh-huh. M on the end, dot uh-huh. C-O, uh, vermouth spelled just like the uh, like the spirit. Nice. I love it. And you, are you on LinkedIn, Twitter? Where do you, where do you hang out? Yeah, we're, we're on LinkedIn. We're not on Twitter. Um, we are. Who is these days? Yeah. <laughs> it's a minefield none of us have felt, felt like tackling. Um, yeah. But we, we're very active on Instagram, which is yeah. Vermouth underscore beauty. And uh, we're also on, on Facebook. And that's where most of our conversations happen. Nice. Well, I enjoy your conversation and I would encourage anybody to connect with you and your brand. I love it. Thank you very much, Jill. Thank and, you, uh, look forward to speaking to you soon. I would love to talk more about sustainability. <laughs> Cheers. Thank you. <laughs> Thank 
Jill, that was splendid. Really encourage you to connect with Jill. As you may have noticed, I know very little about beauty products. But take a look at vermouth.co. I love the positioning and packaging, and I'll include a link to it in the show notes. Right, it's that time of the week to wind down in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar and join my friend and content marketing guru, Robert Rose, chief troublemaker at the Content Advisory for Cocktail and Marketing Guru. Good evening, Robert. What are you drinking? Oh, I can hardly, I can hardly hear you. It's uh, there's, I, I cannot believe you've redone the bar again. And what, what is that? That's heavy metal music. But what kind of heavy? That's pirate metal. Pirate metal you've got going on there. Like, like they're sea shanties, but they're, but they're done in the style of heavy metal music. I, I can, I mean, I love the, I mean, but I love the pirate theme that you've now changed the bar into. There's sort of the whole yo ho ho and swords and swashbucklers and, uh, but heavy metal. I, I think that's a bold move. I think that's a bold design move. Um, I like it. Well, man, you got to keep it times. I mean, you do know that pirate heavy metal is the thing now. Yeah, I, I guess so. <laughs> Yeah, there's some real interesting pirate metal bands out there that um, yeah. I'm, I'm sure right. people well, don't know about. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's quite a few people don't know about them, including myself. Yeah, so well, some you know, discovery. I, I, before I decided to make trouble for you, I didn't know about them either. And now I know way more about Somebody. pirate metal than I ever wanted to know, and that's what it is. In any event, I have a lovely drink for us um, to celebrate pirate metal day all right here at the bar Mm -hmm. um we're calling this a copper guild and a copper guild is so we'll bring it back home with some tequila drinks here um and we're going to have a lovely reposado um and basically it's really any reposado you like however however there is one key difference here is i want you to pick a reposado that doesn't have a lot of flavoring built into it so if you're a fan of the reposado that has you know, a lot of sweetness or it's been infused with some sweetener. I want you to not do uh-huh. that. I want you to go with a really right. good, clean tequila, uh, Reposado tequila. Now, mm-hmm. what you're going to add to this is the sweetness because this is a sweeter drink. But you're gonna, what you're going to add is you're going to find not vanilla like a sugar thing, but you're going to add your favorite vanilla-flavored liqueur. And there are many out there, but find, your, find a nice vanilla-flavored liqueur. And then, so this is basically two parts tequila. Um, basically, eh, call it one part or half part uh, the, the vanilla-flavored liqueur. And then again, a half part of sweet vermouth. Um, and yes, you're already like your lips are puckering because you're thinking, wow, that's going to be wow. really sweet. It is pretty sweet. It's a pretty sweet drink. Um, and the uh-huh. tequila taste goes away for the most part for in, in lieu of the vanilla flavored liqueur and the sweet vermouth. Wow. But um, add to that some orange peel to garnish it or then maybe a squeeze mm-hmm. of orange if you like. And you've got what we're calling a copper guild. And you'll see by the look of the drink, by how uh-huh. you know coppery and, copper. and metallic it looks of why we call it this. Um, but then that should be served on the rocks. And there you go. Wow. I've never come across. What's, what, so what would be a make of vanilla flavored liqueur? Is there like a particular brand? that I've not heard of it. Before, a vanilla liqueur? 
Yeah. Wow. Is it just vanilla liqueur? Is it? Oh. Yeah. You. There are a few brands. I mean, there. I mean, there's many brands out there. Of course. Uh, <laughs> the one that but always comes it, to mind is the TV commercial I used to see. The Disarono. Have you? Had, oh, is that? Have you had the Disarono? Oh. Ah, I'm familiar with Disarono. Yeah, they okay. call it a velvet oh. cream, basically. You know. Oh, um, nice. But you, and then you have the Gifford vanilla. Um, yeah. that's also another one. There's a schnapps, uh, but you don't want any part of that. Um, <laughs> you know, but there are many, many vanilla liqueurs out there, um, that you can, that you can right. try. Well, I'll, I better get on with making that then. And, uh, so I shall, and by the way, for the purposes of the listeners, we've moved into a more quiet area of the bar. <laughs> oh, indeed. Yes. Um, I think, well, the band I think is on it. break at the moment. Yes. <laughs> yes. And, um, I sorry, I forgot to mention. I am um, putting into that my um, uh, I, what did you say? A reposado, yes, a good clean reposado with no sweetener in it. And we obviously know that their most, the equivalent version of that would be a nice gin, which I have put into this glass, and um, the vanilla flavored liqueur. Based on the fact that I didn't realize Desarano was a vanilla flavored liqueur, I'd never heard of it before. So. I only have um, tonic water on my, oh. on my desktop bar, so I should go with that. I do have some vermouth around the house somewhere, but uh, uh, that'll be for another special day when I will have to make something with some vermouth. Um, okay, not that it's not special talking to you on the podcast, obviously. Let me give this a taste. Mmm! That's delicious, Robert. I don't quite get the sweetness with mine. I, no, it's it, you, yeah, or the <laughs> vanilla. I suspect, yeah, <laughs> or or the reposado. No, um, I I get mostly gin and tonic. <laughs> yeah, I could drink one of these every week. And what are we calling this? Uh, that would be uh, what we uh, well, the, there you can really call it anything <laughs> anything you like. But we call this a copper guild. I love it. I love it. All right. So, where are we going to be drinking these very fine copper guilds? Well, I think we have to go, I mean, because of the pirate day here um, at the bar, <laughs> yes. I think we have to make our way to the Caribbean for sure. Yes. Um, and so my, my my lovely wife just returned and with all sorts of pictures, so which made me completely jealous, uh-huh. from Cancun. Um, and so there is a place that's near Cancun, uh, just south mm-hmm. of it, actually, uh, a resort there um, near a place called uh, Puerto Morelos. Um, and uh, it's a beautiful little beach town, just south of Cancun, away from the away from the city, as it were. Um, beautiful, beautiful water, uh, very calm, of course, very warm water with the Caribbean, um, and so just a lovely place for us to drink a little tequila, sweet drinks, as we can sort of take uh, take our siesta in the sand. Yes, nice. And you'll get some good tequila down there, I should imagine, don't you? You get I mean, fantastic tequila, tequila down there. Yeah. You get wonderful yeah. tequila down there. And one uh, that we have been, um, and I can't remember the brand name off the top of my head, but she was she brought one uh, home with her yeah. that you chill, basically. You, you drink it straight and you just chill it and get it very cold. And it's yeah. just absolutely spectacular. <laughs> That sounds delicious. I do enjoy my gin, but that sounds delicious. And so we're uh, we're we're in the sunshine again. I like where you take us, Robert. This is very nice. And uh, w- when conversation turns from the various different tequilas that we can drink here, and it turns to marketing, what are we talking about this week? Well, we're going to talk a little bit uh, about the way we organize our content, um, and oh. it's fascinating <laughs> to me. 
um, that as businesses, so one of the interesting things that I have just observed is one of the big challenges that we have with uh, looking at, um, you know, our, uh, the, the way we organize content on our website, for example, or the way we even organize a website um, is very much in a hierarchical fashion, right? In other words, we, we organize it very much as if we were a library. Um, and so the idea is, is that as we think about how we're doing that, why, why are we still doing that in 2023? Why are we still organizing <laughs> our content as a library? Or are we actually starting to organize our content more uh, is as a, as a network, like as a media company would present their content? And here's, let me give you an example of what I mean by that. So if we think about the way that we organize, for example, a B2B resource center, or if we organize our website, right? Mm. We often organize it with, you come to the front page and yes, if you go to this page, you can get all the eBooks. If you go to this page, you can get all our podcasts. If you get all of this, if you go to this part of the website, you get all of our white papers. If you go here, you get all of our blog posts. If you go here, you get all of our product information. And basically all of those things are segmented hierarchically. So it's very much like a library. And the thing about a library is you you go, the organization is, again, very, very much based on the sense that you know what you're looking for and and you're, what you're looking is a, is a hierarchical way of organizing it because there's a lot, right? There's a lot of mm-hmm. information. Think about the way you use a library, right? You go in, yes. aha, I'm trying to be smarter on uh, this topic. So I'm going to go to the card catalog because I'm looking for authors in this space. And so I'm going to go to the card catalog and I'm going to look and then I'm going to go to the shelf and I'm going to pull off books and then I'm going to look at it. Very similar situation with the way that we use the web from a business sense. But of course, we don't engage with content like that for entertainment or other ways of of the way inspiration, etc. in that particular way. And if you think about it, this is the way we've operated on the web for 23 years now, really, as we've, as we've mm-hmm. built websites. And so there are more modern ways to think about organizing and presenting our content to users. Um, and I just came up with a sort of a, a simple framework to start to think about different ways that we could organize our thought leadership, our con- content marketing, our marketing content digitally that might make more sense in 2023. And and so I've come up with five different ways to do this. Um, And so just very briefly, we can talk about any one of them if you like, but basically the five that I've looked at are one, intent. In other words, we want to understand what our audience's intent is when they come to our content and how it's organized. And so if we've got a thousand new visitors coming to our website, What's the most valuable thing we can know about them? Like, is it who they are or is it why they came to visit our content? Well, of course, it's the latter, right? We want to know what their desire is. So how can we do that? Well, we can start to much more cleverly organize and present our content, maybe by task or desired outcomes rather than by content type. Or maybe there's a more detailed content titling uh, mechanism that we can start to use, right? Instead of calling our white paper you know, something cute or whatever, we get a little more task oriented. So, I mean, this will be two on the nose, but basically something like (laughs) visions of a new future of our industry, what you need to know as you contemplate change, right? Which immediately says anybody 
downloading that white paper is not a lead yet. They're simply contemplating change. And so what we want to do is serve them up the next best thing that might be on their task list. So organizing in that fashion. Then there's authority, which is, okay, organizing by our points of view, right? Organizing by what it is we believe about the world, right? This is what we believe about this. This is what we believe about that. So topic areas about what it is and then organizing the content again, whether it's a blog post, a white paper, a, a ebook or whatever by uh, our, our, uh, our, um, our authority on it. There's internal context, right? So internal context is about what's the context mean to us. We could organize by that. We could organize by external context. In other words, hey, we're going to present it differently to you if you're coming via, you know, visa via mobile phone or an mm-hmm. iPad or a desktop, or if it's raining where you are, or if it's not, you know, raining where you are, or really just anything that's externally contextually available to us to optimize the presentation of content in a better way for the user to have a better experience. And then lastly, um, what I call described which is we can come up with any number of ways to describe our content, whether it's by persona, by buyer's journey, by whatever it is we want to descriptively metadata apply to it, and then start to organize the presentation of our content by whatever it is that we want to present to that user based on what we know about them. So in other words, stop thinking about content organizations so hierarchically, which is fascinating to me in 2023 that we're still in that mode of operation as we design new websites and content hubs and all those kinds of things, and rather take a much more modern, customer-centric, contextual look at the way that we organize our content and start to just look at it as a giant pool of content that is yeah. presented um, as it needs to, you know, headless is a big thing these days. And so starting to think about much more of a singular corpus of content that gets presented in multiple different organizational fashions, depending on the way the customer wants to access it. Yeah, <clears throat> no, this is great. I mean, I, I got, um, I was interviewed on a podcast the other day, um, and they were asking me about um, content marketing and, um, and they were talking about personalization. They were talking about the customer journey. And I was, I was saying, you know, we can get a bit hung up on organising out of, 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 of trying to, you know, um, nurture people and think about where they are in the customer journey and all that kind of stuff. But I think this, what you're saying is that, and, I, and what I was talking about was like there was a, there's a buffet of content and you just need to make sure that people can choose their own adventure around that buffet of content. And I think this is exactly what you're talking about here, isn't it? Is when you, when you think about things like intent, your first one or your last one described, where you're, you're placing your content where people are naturally going to flow, right? Indeed. And, yeah. and I think what we get hung up on the, you know, in the world of personalization or targeting, yeah. we get yeah. so hung up on the, we have to know who they are before we could present yeah. it to them, right? Yeah. And so, and that's lovely and it's wonderful yeah. if we can get to that point where based on the contextual browser, uh, status. In other words, we, we know enough about this particular user that we can determine which way we want to present content to them dynamically. Yeah. That's yeah. lovely and wonderful, but we don't have to start there. You know, mm-hmm. you know, in other words, that's a big leap in many ways because most websites today are still static. They're still static pages. 
maybe they have dynamic elements like most popular content or what was read last or, you know, those kinds of little dynamic widgets on them. But for the most part, most, and this is especially true in B2B, most B2B websites are still pretty much static brochures that have access to other kinds of unstructured assets like PDF files and images and presentations and videos and stuff like that. And so even if we get to a point where we're just reorganizing the navigation and the way that we design our experience in a static way, but do so in a clever way that says, who are you? Basically, Mm -hmm. let's just ask you who, you know, what can we do for you based on intent to say, Hey, you know, Marketo used to do a really great job at this back in the day before the Adobe acquisition, where you would go to their resource center and it would say, who are you? Are you a sophisticate in marketing automation? We have sophisticated materials here. Are you easy? You know, are you a beginner and you need to walk through this or are you a, you know, just a marketing person and you're only curious Mm -hmm. about the business side of, you know, basically based on who you were, you would go through and whether it was videos or eBooks or white papers or blog posts, the experience from that point forward, once you chose your persona Mm. was basically really just targeted toward you. And It wasn't that you couldn't get out of it. Like you could always look at the right rail and go, no, no, look, go look at something more sophisticated or whatever. But mm-hmm. the key is, is that it was based on your intent or your objective or your goal rather than sort of, this is all our white papers, whether or not yeah. you're a beginner or not. Right. Yeah. 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 No, I love this. I love this because I mean, especially in B2B and I've been guilt as guilty as anybody on this. Um, you just naturally start to cluster your content around your solutions, the, the problem you solve, um, and or around topics that you and you think that the visitor is that's the way they're thinking and that's the way they're navigating. But I, I really like this, particularly those that, like I said, the one at the beginning, the one at the intent. Why are they here, and how can I serve them? How do I actually learn something from the piece of content they're consuming about why they're they're there and you know, that then leads to personalization, even though it's kind of, it could be choose your own adventure, but at least you're providing the right content, right? Well, exactly right. I mean, you know, and we, I mean, we get so wrapped around the axle of saying, okay, you have to have it by product. You have to have it by industry. You have to have it by solution set. You have to, you know, so we get this internal structure of the way that we communicate, which is not how our customer thinks about things. We, you know, I mean, we've talked, at length before about the old, uh, uh, you know, the shipping, the org chart, right. You know, communicating in the way that we're internally organized and the challenges with that. But just thinking about it from the customer's perspective, it's a very simple concept, Mm -hmm. but it's really hard to get done. Not because it's technologically difficult, but because it's a new, it's a different way of thinking about organizing ourselves in a way that mixes content types, mixes in many ways, our products together mixes, you know, sort of really requires a level of collaboration and, uh, and communication with different functions in the business that puts all that stuff into a, into a, a, a better experience. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, look, I, one of my, you know, and I, you know, I know they're kind of a weird sort of a sort of, you know, ivory tower sort of idea, but what I really love is if you go, if you just read the, fr- go to the front page of McKinsey, right? McKinsey's mm-hmm. website. Mm-hmm. And the whole, they're, the, the, it's not about us. It's not about their services. It's the whole front page of their website 
is all about addressing issues across industry, across yeah. uh, different kinds of marketing versus you know supply chain versus mm-hmm. all those things. It's all thought leadership and thinking and thought, right? Yeah, yeah. Now you can get to, you can navigate to things like, oh, by industries or by capabilities yeah. or those kinds of things. But the way that you logically navigate their website is basically, what are you interested in? What topics are you interested in? And then once you get into topics, even if you go into something like automotive, right? If you go into automotive, for example, oh, I'm an automotive professional. Well, you go in there and you see, okay, there's all these articles about topics like my, what am I trying to solve in automotive? Not like by product or by service line or, you know, are you interested in marketing? Are you interested in this? You know, like our internal structures, but rather... Are you interested in the future of mobility or are you interested in what EV charging markets are doing or, you know, all those kinds of things. And then you get three levels into these articles and then you get a contextual idea of, hey, we can help you with this. Right. Yeah. 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 Yeah, No, it's it's great. I love it. I love it. Um, But yes, but um, yeah, not like us. We're we're coming up to time. This is great. Um, Okay, so um, where can people um, learn about how you expose this framework on on a website <laughs> well we are our own worst enemy here by the way so, if you don't, so please don't go to my website and go oh yeah uh, that's gotcha how... he doesn't organize this because we're still working on that we're still working on trying to change our website to that but that's contentadvisory.net splendid and when people spin the dial on the interwebs where are they going to find you my friend they're going to find me uh, on LinkedIn primarily I'm sort of done with Twitter I Yes. I've, I've came back and I'm sort of like tired of it. So yeah. we'll see. We had a big chat about that off air. I completely agree with you. And um, most important to me, will you be in the bar next week? I will. And I'm hopeful for more pirate rock. <laughs> I mean, this is really, really cool. Sea, san- <laughs> sea shanties and metal is like great. I shall send you a cassette so you can listen to it at your heart's content. Oh, indeed. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> just, just send that on to me. Yeah, send a thumb drive. And you're a man who should stay off of YouTube, in my opinion, mate. <laughs> yeah, indeed. <laughs> All right, mate, I'll see you next week. Thank you very much. Thank you, Robert. And if you're new to the show, I have no idea what Robert will surprise me with. And that pirate metal at the beginning was a bit of Ailstorm, and rather appropriately, their song, Dream. So that's a wrap on episode 170 of the Rockstar CMO Effing Marketing Podcast. Thanks to Jeff, Jill and Robert for sharing their experience and to you for dropping a dime into your podcasting jukebox, selecting our track and jiving along with us. I'm glad you're here. Please let us know what you think. Drop us a rating or review or contact me or my guests through our website, rockstarcmo.com. You can find the show notes with all our links, the Street Knowledge blog, newsletter and all of our past episodes. Next week, Jeff is back in the studio. I go backstage with Mark Ordover, Chief Operating Officer at Evergreen Trading, which is a fascinating business. And Robert will be back in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar. Until then, have a great week. And I hope you'll again join us here next week on Rockstar CMO FM. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.